Well, today we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, and let's look at verses 16 through 28. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 through 28, and we'll read our text before we get into the message today. Hebrews 9.16 says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept in all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, we read there in the first or the second half of chapter 9, um, the first four verses, we saw that it spoke of a testament and a testator. Today, when we talk about a testament, we think of it as a will, and a testator is the one who made the will. And all across America at this very hour are literally millions of testaments that are not in force. That is, wills written by individuals of a sound mind currently stored away in dresser drawers, safety deposit boxes, attorney's offices, and other places. For the time being, they are useless and worthless. Why? What activates a last will and testament? What makes it valid or in force? Why are these wills currently meaningless scraps of paper waiting in the wings for the day when they will become viable and valuable? The answer, of course, is that the testator, the one who made the will, is still alive. He or she must die for it to take force. Now, when we talk about the New Covenant or the New Testament, it is of no value whatsoever without Christ's death. He had to die for it and become operative. This is true of any will, of course. If you have a will today, you will have to die first in order for it to go into effect. Now let's look again at verses 20 uh, through 22. In verses 20 through 22, it says, In almost all things 
or excuse me, verse 20 says, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And so we see the last phrase in verse 22 says, Without shedding of blood is no remission. And then we go on to verse 23 and we see the first phrase there is, It was therefore necessary. The blood of Christ has always been an important uh, concept to Christian people down through the centuries of Christian belief. The inspired scriptures contain numerous references to the significance of the blood of Christ. Now obviously, there are those who have diminished the importance of the blood of Jesus. Christianity has been characterized by some as a slaughterhouse religion because it speaks about the shed blood of Jesus as the sacrificial death for sin that was prefigured in the death of sacrificial animals in the Old Covenant. Some think that this makes Christianity a revolting, bloody religion without, uh, with a gospel of gore. Some denominations have even removed from their hymnals all hymns which refer to the blood of Jesus so as not to offend people's sensitivities. By the way, genuine Christian sensitivities are not offended by a reference to the blood of Christ. And so there have also been so-called scholars who have tried to convince us that Concepts of blood in scripture are but carryovers from pagan religions which were introduced superstitiously into the Jewish religion, religion and thus into the Christian religion. Their presupp presupposition is that all religions have evolved and all religious features can be traced back to their alleged origins in the evolution of religion. The explanation they offer is that blood covenants and blood sacrifices within animistic and spiritistic religions are the origin of such ideas in the Old Testament, and that mystic conceptions of the efficacy of blood in the mystery religions are the mythical base of all conceptions of blood in Judeo-Christian thinking. Their reasoning is based on unsubstantiated presuppositions and warped by unbelief. Now others would diminish the importance of the blood of Jesus by indicating that it does not matter if Jesus ever lived or if ever had blood flowing in his veins or shed in his blood shed his blood on the cross. History and the reality of the person of Jesus Christ are irrelevant in their perspective. All that matters is how the story, they call it myth, affects people in each age and whether people find religious comfort and a sense of peace and love in what they believe. Historical reality, whether it really happened or is true or not, means nothing to these existentialists. And all religion is regarded as pure subjectivism and spiritualized fantasy. They certainly regard the blood of Jesus as less important than scripture indicates. But we who believe the Bible see right here before us in black and white what the Bible says, and it says, without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary. Now today I want to focus on the blood of Christ and its necessity. We read over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, where it says, 
For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It was J.P. Morgan, who was a noted financier and multimillionaire of an earlier American generation, that before his death he composed a will consisting of 37 articles and 10,000 words. While Mr. Morgan had been involved in transactions involving millions of dollars during his illustrious business career, he left no doubt as to what was the greatest transaction he had ever made. In his will he wrote, I commit my soul in the hands of my Savior, full of confidence that having redeemed me and washed me with his most precious blood, he will present me faultless before the throne of my heavenly Father. I entreat my children to maintain and defend all at all hazards and at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of complete atonement through the blood of Christ with regard to the believer's salvation. J. Pierpont Morgan recognized the priceless value of atoning sacrifice of Christ's shed blood in his death on the cross. Now notice with me this uh, today, the, the, first of all, the importance of the blood of Christ. The importance of the blood of Christ. There is a bloodline that stretches throughout the entire breadth of inspired scripture. From outside the gates of Eden in Genesis chapter 4, to inside the gates of the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the Bible is filled with the importance of the blood of Christ with regard to salvation. And so as we talk about the importance of the blood of Christ, notice first of all the imperative of the shed blood in the Old Testament. The imperative of the shed blood in the Old Testament. When God clothed Adam and Eve after they had sinned in Genesis chapter 3, it was with the skin of an animal whose blood had been shed. And when Abel offered a sacrifice to God in Genesis chapter 4 that was acceptable to God, it was the sacrifice of a lamb whose blood had been shed. When Isaac was about to die on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, it was the blood of a substitute ram that saved his life. When the death angel passed over Egypt in Exodus chapter 11, it was the blood sprinkled over the doorpost that preserved the Hebrew nation. When the covenant of the law was established at Mount Sinai, it was a covenant sprinkled with blood. And when God commanded the Israelites to build a tabernacle, the first article of furniture as one entered into the gates was the altar of incense that was sprinkled with blood. Regardless of whether it was the consequence creation of a priest, the birth of a son, the deepest penitence due to sin, or the highest religious festival, the way to communion with God in the Old Testament was by the way of shedding of blood. So we have the imperative of the shed blood in the Old Testament. Secondly, we have the magnitude of shed blood in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the same vital truth applies. What the Old Testament portrays through shadows and types, the New Testament presents in person and in fact. Paul, in his inspired epistle, wrote, 
Romans 3, 24 and 25, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Peter, in his infallible writing, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, said, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. John, in his inerrant script, uh, in 1 John 1, 7, said, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. You see, each and all present the importance of the blood of Christ in the death, in death as the atonement price for sin. The book of Revelation, the last book of the canonical uh, scriptures, reiterates this same theme. Washed us from our sins in his own blood, it says in Revelation 1.5. Redeemed us to God by thy blood, Revelation 5.9. And they overcame him, that is, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb in Revelation 12 and verse 11. You see, everywhere you travel through the scripture, you will discover one prominent theme, salvation by the blood and the blood alone. All hope of heaven and forgiveness of sins is based upon the shed blood of Christ in his death on the cross. And our text here today in Hebrews so clearly states, without the shedding of blood is no Remission. And so we see the importance of the blood of Christ. Secondly, we see the identity of the blood of Christ. Throughout human history, blood has been frequently spilled in religious causes. Historical chronicles detail long trails of blood spilled by soldiers in religious-based wars throughout the centuries. The dust of the centuries is soaked with blood spilled in religious crusades. There were the bloody troughs of the pagan Aztecs in ancient Mexico and the massive August 1572 St. Bartholomew's Day slaughter in Spain. And those are grim reminders of the blood spilled by religious fanatics in the name of religion. But in a positive way, the blood of Christian martyrs was has soaked the blowing dust of ancient empires and simmered in the fires set by despotic dictators. But whether spilled by godly saints or godless sinners, none of that blood could ever cleanse or deal with the sin because it was defective. It was impure blood that could never atone for sin. Only Christ's blood shed on Calvary's cross could make the payment for sin for the price of our sin. Now notice in this identity of the blood of Christ, first of all, Christ's blood was sacred. While Christ's blood was physical blood, real blood, genuine blood, it was uniquely different from all other blood in human history. Without the defilement of the curse of sin, death, and, or disease in its composition, no one can explain Christ's virgin birth. It was a divine miracle. The transmission of Christ's blood to his body cannot be adequately explained by any medical process. The miraculous work of the Holy Spirit is the only answer. 
Christ's blood was perfect, priceless, and pure. As a man, Christ voluntarily subjected himself to the sinless limitations of the human body. As the perfect God-man, Christ alone was qualified to make the ransom price for our sin as the perfect Lamb of God. Secondly, we see that Christ's blood was not only sacred but sinless. His blood was like the Old Testament lamb without spot or blemish. All other human blood has been tainted by the corruption of sin resulting from Adam's fall. Romans 5 and verse 12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Judas Iscariot probably did not realize the full importance of his statement when he declared that he had betrayed innocent blood in Matthew 27, verse 4. One commentator aptly stated, In becoming man, Christ did not partake of the foul poison which sin has introduced in the human constitution. His humanity was not contaminated by the virus of the fall. Thirdly, we find that Christ's blood was substitutionary. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5:21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. It was offered in our place, in our stead. A substitute takes one's place when the individual is unable to appear or unqualified to act. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary? The doctor asked. Johnny hesitated. His lower lip started to tremble. And then he smiled and he said, Sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary was pale and thin. Johnny, robust and healthy, neither spoke. But when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. And as the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube. With the ordeal almost over, his voice slightly shaky broke the silence, and he said, Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why his lip had trembled when he agreed to donate his blood. 
he thought he was giving his blood to his sister and that that meant giving up his life and in a brief moment he had made this great decision now little Johnny fortunately didn't have to die to save his sister each of us however has a condition much more serious than Mary's and it did require Jesus to give not only his blood but his life and since redemption required a perfect sacrifice the perfect Savior took the place of the polluted sinner in Hebrews 4 and verse 15 it says for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we uh, all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin Romans 5 8 says but God commended his commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us so Christ's blood was sacred Christ's blood was sinless Christ's blood was substitutionary and fourthly Christ's blood was sacrificial it cost God the Father the death of his only begotten son at Calvary God separated himself from his son with whom he had enjoyed infinite and unlimited communion from eternity past it's a staggering fact to think that God separated himself from his son in order that we might never be separated from him fifthly Christ's blood was sufficient God the Father set forth his son to be the propitiation that is the satisfaction for our sins this blood was shed in death once as the sole complete payment price for sin at Calvary righteousness and peace truly kissed each other and as the songwriter was correct when he wrote Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Christ's blood was sacred Christ's blood was sinless Christ's blood was substitutionary Christ's blood was sacrificial Christ's blood was sufficient and then Christ's blood was shielding Christ's blood safeguards the believer from Satan's accusatory attacks when Satan brings the depraved skeletons out of our sinful past believers can take the shield of faith in Christ's propitiatory atonement and claim victory over our defeated foe Revelation 12 verse 10 and 11 and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto death 1st Corinthians 15 57 but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and then finally Christ's blood is frequently slighted in Hebrews 10 28 and 29 it says he that despised Moses law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace in these verses the writer clearly indicates that those who reject the blood of the new covenant that is the new testament do despite 
the Spirit of grace. And since the Holy Spirit is the divine agent who convicts of sin and convinces of the Savior and converts to salvation, when the human heart resists the Holy Spirit, they disavow the only person who can regenerate the soul. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so we have seen the importance of the blood of Christ. We've seen the identity of the blood of Christ. And thirdly, we want to look at the impact of the blood of Christ. The impact of the blood of Christ. Christ's atoning sacrifice, his blood shed in death upon Calvary, has produced an impact unequaled by any religious rival and has resulted in numerous spiritual blessings to the repentant soul. I want you to notice what Christ's blood brought. First of all, it brought redemption. Christ's blood brought and bought redemption. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In Galatians 3, believers are portrayed as liberated souls who have been freed from their former bondage status in the slave market of Satan and sin. The words translated redeem or redeemed and redemption all portray the purchase price of our eternal souls in the marketplace of sin slavery by the blood of Christ, out of sin slavery market, as well as the loosing or the setting free of the soul from sin's bondage. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Again, remind you of 1 Peter 1 and verse 18 and 19 where it says, For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ's blood brought redemption. Secondly, it brought righteousness. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. By the merit of Christ's blood, the repentant sinner is declared righteous, justified in Christ with an eternal standing in glory as a blessed result. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And also here from our text in Hebrews 9 and verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Thirdly, uh, it brought us remission. Christ's blood brought remission with complete forgiveness and purging of all sin, the sinful state had been wiped clear by Christ's atoning blood, never to be remembered against us no more. Hebrews 1 and verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 10.17, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Fourthly, it brought reconciliation. Christ's blood has reconciled or reunited man and man in Christ. 
reunited God and man in Christ. A relationship that had been severed by sin and by faith in Christ, believers are now back into the family of God by the way of adoption and regeneration. Ephesians 2 and verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the empty thereby. Colossians 1, 20 through 22 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present your, you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And then Christ's blood brought reception. That is, we're, we're accepted in the Beloved and the ascension into the very presence of God at his throne. By the blood of Christ, believing saints have direct access into the holiest place of heaven at God's right hand. Again, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And then finally, Christ's blood has also brought rejoicing to the believer's heart. Rejoicing. Romans 5.11 And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Believers can truthfully sing with a great enthusiasm and joy. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. By those seeking freedom from burdens and oppression of sin, there is truly power in the blood. When asked the question, what can wash away my sin? Believing saints can confidently reply, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For the genuine saint, Christ's blood shed in death upon the cross doesn't just mean something. It means everything. Now I close with this reminder that the secret is not just in blood, but the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read where during the Korean War, a popular evangelist of the day presented the president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, with a book containing signatures in their own blood. 16,000 Korean prisoners of war who had been won to Christ during their confinement in allied Korean or allied prison camps and they had a renounced communism as a result. Now that's an interesting book, but there's the book of life that contains the names of those redeemed by his blood which were written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world that counts. Is your name written there? The writer of Hebrews is most insistent that Christ's second coming will be apart from sin. The sin question was settled once and for all the first time he came. He will not have to deal with it again, having already offered a perfect atonement in the sacrifice of himself. It has been settled forever. Has it been settled in your heart and in your life? The answer is yes, if you've received the Lord and Savior based upon the shedding of his blood. The answer is no, if you have not. Verse 27 reminds us that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Are you ready to meet the Lord? His blood is available for you. Won't you accept his payment for sin today? 
Leviticus 17 and verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. 1 John 1, 7 sweetly sums it up. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Have you trusted Christ and his sacrificial work? Let's pray.